Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cage.press.com. I'm Dana Gubbi-Freeling, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC on the road this weekend. UFC Austin, Cavicator versus Josh Emmett comes to you live Saturday. We'll be breaking down that main event fight as well as two other absolute bangers on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. In addition to that, we're bringing you some top-notch interviews. Joining us this week is the Dirty Bird, Tim Means, who's getting ready to fight Kevin Howland at UFC Austin. And a little bit later on in the show, we'll be joined by O'Day Osborne, who's fresh off of that big knockout win over Zaruk Adeshev, where he won 50K. He talks a little bit about what he'll do with the bonus and when we can expect to see him back in there again. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there this week and every week there's a UFC, you can catch my personal bonus selection that you can only find on the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Tim the Dirty Bird Means, who fights Kevin Holland at UFC Austin, that fight on June 18th. So, Tim, I want to start here. It's been a little bit since we've seen you. It's been about a year. I know you had to pull out of one of the fights due to a positive COVID test. But what has this year off been like for you? Do you feel like you've been getting good time in here, or has it been mostly frustrating? Because I know you're a guy who likes to fight a little bit more often than that. Yeah, you know, life happens. You know, there's been a lot of stuff thrown at us the last couple of years with sickness and and heck you name it you know life happens you gotta stay stay getting ready stay to the grind and uh get back to it but yeah i'd rather like you said i'd much rather stay busy and and have two three four fights a year but it's probably the longest layoff i've gotten gotten to have but at the same time life happens and we move forward and and i've heard from a lot of people too that with those long layoffs sometimes goes you know, really good training camps or, you know, you've, you've obviously had multiple training camps at this point in time or really good training sessions that allows you to work on yourself more than preparing for an opponent. Do you feel that to be the case or are you the type of guy who'd just rather be in training camp, you know, for a fight just about at all times? Um, you know, man, I, I like the fact that with martial arts and training, we get to vent some stress, go hit a bag, get some daily frustrations off your life. So being in the gym is, is nothing normal or nothing, um, new new for our stuff i guess i'd say but uh you know staying active is is a much better way to pay the bills but at the same time you can work on yourself you can reflect you can do a lot of good things um fix some holes that you have in your game so uh went back to the drawing board and hopefully uh, you know we've we've fixed some things we're going to be better coming out this time around um than than the last time so um like you said layoffs can help but it's it's kind of my first one for for this long of a time minus when you know, broke my leg or an injury of that nature or whatever, but um, looking forward to getting back in there on Saturday. 
And, and we're looking forward to that as well. Now, you're on a three-fight winning streak right now. So to hear a guy talk about holes and, and the things that he's got to work on, you know, at this point in time, not that, you know, not all fighters have holes, but to hear you focused on holes right now almost sounds a little bit surprising. Was there something you felt like you needed, you know, a particular lot of work on after that three-fight winning streak? I think even in wins, I, I, I go back and see what I'm doing wrong and what I need to fix. Can't can't think that I'm getting too good or get unhumbled or whatever, if you will. Um, stand in practice and find, finding holes, and there's always somebody wanting to take our spot on this roster, so I just have to stay out in front, stay running, and I keep putting on good fights. And, and, and like I said, you, there's always something to fix. Um, constructive criticism is a good thing. Not all of us take it well, so... Uh, Finding things, fixing them, being better, you know, just it's just a thing you have to do. Absolutely. And and you mentioned, you know, always trying to be better, always trying to get that next opponent, and always having somebody, you know, looking over your shoulder. And right now you got a guy in Kevin Holland who's looking over your shoulder, a guy who's gotten a fair amount of hype recently, and, and obviously you earned this fight winning three in a row and four out of five. Do you feel like Kevin Holland was like the right step up for you in, in terms of skill? Or was this more of a, you know, really pumped about getting this fight because he, he's got a little bit of that name value behind him? Yeah, I think he just talks real well. He's able to sell fights off his charisma. Um, and he's a guy that shows up and doesn't really care where the fight goes. He's a guy that'll be in there fighting the entire time. Uh, and he uses his mouth to uh, sell a lot of tickets for himself. So uh, it's a guy that you definitely don't have to go find a fight. Um that skill and stuff, I think on I, I think on my end, uh, we have fought plenty of guys, so there's nothing new that he can throw. Uh, just have to outwork him and, and, and beat him to the punch in most cases, which is easier said than done. But this may, this this stylistic matchup makes for a real fun fight for the fans, and you know I'm just happy to be getting back in there, right, going into the summertime and getting done. But um, you know we need more than one fight this year. We need to uh, push the two and three fights this year, so we need to hurry up and get this one out of the way. Absolutely. And, and I want to talk to you about banging it out with him on the feet in a second. But before that, you know, you mentioned that he's a little bit of a talker, both in and out of the cage. You know, we saw when he was in the apex, we got that that quiet environment where we got to hear everything he was saying. Not exactly the same in Austin. There's going to be a live crowd there, but I assume you'll hear all of the shit he's saying. So tell me, like, has that crossed your mind? Have you been in with a guy who sits there and jaws at you for the whole fight. What, what are sort of your thoughts on facing an opponent like that? You know, we've been there and done that. You know, I fought Bobby Green in King of the Cage. He came out in a chicken suit. Um, <laughs> you know, I've seen Hollins pulled his chicken suit. So, you know, they do a good job of the, of the sales tactics with that stuff, you know, and their charisma. Hats off to them there. You know, we get to get locked in a cage and then figure it out on fight night. So, um, I, I respect what they do. I expect their, I, I respect their chatter and all that. It's, it's, it's for a show. Um, it's, it's, it's patter, if you will. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we get to get in a fight and figure it out. So, you know, uh, hats off to how Holland has sold the fight and hats off to the guys that like to sell fights like that. Um, I just rather get in there and, and get into a fist fight, but it may, it makes, it makes for a good little buildup, you know? Absolutely. And, and now let's talk about the fist fight itself, too, because like you said, he brings a very fan friendly style. You yourself have been noted as kind of a fan favorite as far as your fight style goes. But you're also a guy who's got a lot of like wrestling skills and a lot of submission skills that maybe don't come out in every single fight because you are so fan friendly. So in, in a fight against a guy like Kevin Holland, and I mean, I don't want you to give away your entire strategy here, but in a fight with a guy who just likes to box, are, are you looking to go in there and oblige him in that kind of style? You know, it's, it's, it's all the emotions in the fight, you know, um, 
you'd like to say you want to stick to a game plan and this and that, but the fighter comes out of you. It just happens. Uh, right now, my, my goal in my last, my last uh, five fights has been to be well-rounded. If I want to only box, I need to go over to, uh, you know, Showtime or uh, see some of these promoters for boxing or, or, or kickboxing, if, if you will. So right now, being a mixed martial arts has been about being a well-mixed martial artist. And that, that's been the goal of the last five fights. So the six fights here, we want to see if we're putting better puzzle pieces together and, and get somebody out, out, of, out of there with a submission or, or some ground strikes. But ultimately, where the fight takes me, I want to be able to have an answer no matter where we're at. So right now, just being able to shut down what he's best at and, and, and going from there. Absolutely. And, and speaking of ground strikes and, and submission skills and working on the ground, I did want to ask you, you know, I saw all over your Instagram that you, you have been coaching wrestling for quite some time and, and seem to be really loving it and really engaged in it. How long have you been doing that? And sort of like what got you into coaching youth wrestling like that? Uh, we took over the, my wife and I took over the high school program here in Moyarty, uh, go Pintos. So we took over the program last year and we had to wrestle at like an odd time or a very odd time. It was in the summertime. April, May area going into uh, the, the wrestling season because of the whole COVID deal that was going on here. So uh, we came out of lockdown, you know, here in New Mexico, businesses and stuff like that and the whole social distancing. And they ran all the sports pretty much at the same time. Um, so we, we took it over and then we just finished again February um, at, the, at the state uh, championships uh, th- this year. Um, it, it's just a full circle. It's very humbling knowing that, that that's the program I came from and where, you know, all my stuff started. It's very humbling to come back full circle and, and stuff to help mold me and, you know, really help build character for myself and uh, find confidence for myself. It's just cool going in full circle again and then uh, trying, to, uh, trying to help build back a program that's uh, been been very known here in New Mexico. It's been always been a solid program. It's kind of gotten – a little thinned out over the last couple of years, but, um, you know, building that back up and, you know, we pulled our first district title as a team in 11 years, uh, this year. So going to be more proud of the kids and, uh, the adversity they've had to work through, you know, that some of those kids, uh, you know, they, they, they missed a lot in that, that year that we were locked down doing the homeschooling or the, 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 the schooling from home on, on their computer desktops. There's a lot going on and, uh, it was really admiring seeing the kids fight through that stuff. And hell, they had even wrestling masks when we first started with masks on. Uh, that's just bonkers, but, um, uh, it's very humbling to full circle and see what the kids can go through with their own adversity and, and pull through and win for themselves. It's, it's a cool moment. And it's great hearing about fighters giving back to their communities and giving back to the people who brought, uh, them as far as they did. Now, I, I do got to ask too. Obviously, you got all those, you know, high school kids around you all the time. Are, are they ever starstruck at having a, a UFC fighter as their coach? Do they ever ask you about getting into MMA themselves? What, what What's sort of like the relationship you have as far as, you know, the separation of your professional side and, and your coaching side? I don't know about starstruck. You know, you get, it's, I find it nice. So, you know, I can relate with some of the kids just from my past and, and, and see the struggles they're going through and, you know, poverty, things of that nature, you know, talking to, these kids seeing them wanting to quit high school and I myself didn't do very good in high school and, you know, I had to get a GED or whatever, but seeing these kids buckle down and get their goals done so they can be, uh, they're, they're students before they're athletes. So they have to buckle down on their grades and get the work done before they even get to step out on the football field or the wrestling mat or whatever. Um, I, I don't know if I've really been starstruck with, the, with any of the kids have been starstruck, but uh, it's cool to see them come in and, you know, start talking to me about my fights and they watched on this date or whatever. And they, they see it. They think it's cool to see me on TV um, but it, it's all these kids are fighting their own battles and, and, and winning their own wars in ways and, you know, reaching their own goals. 
I'm starstruck just as much as they are. So there's some starstruck. It's, it's, it's equal back and forth because there's a lot of adversity, man. I respect kids. I respect individuals that, that, that deal with adversity, meet it head on, don't run from their problems. And, hell, that's where we're getting out of the problem. We're already wrestling team over here. I can be more proud of these guys. That's absolutely beautiful. Now, you, you mentioned them getting a chance to see you on TV. I do got to run it full circle here. You fight Kevin Holland on June 18th. Do you got a prediction for us? How do you see this one ending? Hell, this is a, this is a you pick em fight, you know, if you're a betting guy. This is going to be a nasty, vicious fight. We're going to get down and throw down. So, um, you know, I like to say pick stuff. You know, my last few fights have been decisions. I like to get out there quicker than that. But a win's a win, and hell, a good fight's a win. So let's go figure it out on the 18th. All right. Well, we are absolutely looking forward to it. And once again, fans, this was Tim the Dirty Bird Beans who fights Kevin Holland at UFC Austin. That fight on June 18th. Tim, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Tim the Dirty Bird Means. I, once again, am Daniel Gibby Vreeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we're going to start here. There is so much to unpack from UFC 275, and we don't have enough time to talk about the whole damn thing. So here's where I want to start. Glover Tavshera versus Yuri Prohashka, for me, possibly the greatest 205-pound fight of all time. It might be up there in one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. Of course, recency bias aside, where do you rank that fight in terms of the best 205 fights ever and the best fights period of all time? Well, Gumby, you didn't give me any homework assignment to get ready for this question. <laughs> so just off the top of my head, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm almost positive it's – well, hold on. Let me back up. It's five, top five or top ten for me. And I'm almost positive, just off the top of my head, it is the greatest light heavyweight fight of all time. I can't think of a better one. Um, the only one that's know, close for of, me is, is is John Jones versus Alexander Gustafson. Uh, right. I was actually just going to say that, which was the majority of Jones fights outside of Gus one were exciting. You know, they were typically like these big moments, but they weren't necessarily like back and forth wars. This was a war. And I told a lot of people the next day when I was at an open mat, just, you know, on the mats talking, talking, you know, that talk we talk. I said, I will not remember in four years that Glover tapped. Doesn't even matter to me. Barely even count it. At that point in the fight, it was we were in a chaos war and I loved every second of it. Yeah. And here's the thing I will say, too, that just made it so crazy. It seemed like in every single round, Yuri tagged Glover and then Glover had success on the ground. Yuri tagged Glover, and Glover had success on the ground. And how ironic is it that the fifth round ends with Glover tagging Yuri, and then Yuri having success on the ground? Like, (laughs) it's almost nonsensical that Glover nearly knocks him out on the feet, and and he probably could have. Like, he probably could have just stayed and banged with him. Um, And and then instead he takes it to the ground, and Yuri winds up getting, I mean, like an exhaustion rear naked choke with 30 seconds left with... With Glover ahead on the cards, I mean, like, I it's, know, 30 it, seconds away from a decision. There's so many things to say about the fight, but, like, the the bottom line is, is it's just, like, it was so much fun. Uh, it's one of my favorite fights of all time. I, I think it's in my top five. I'd have to, like, write them down and go back to them. But, like, you're right. The, the beauty of this one was there was no moment that wasn't filled with, like, wicked exciting action. Agreed completely. And I guess the other thing we should touch on 
even though a few days removed from it now, but where do you, I guess, in your head put JJ as far as a legacy with that being her last fight? You know, she was at one point the dominant 115 pound champion, really put that title on the map more so than the first champion, Carla and current champion. Uh, but where do you kind of rank JJ all time? And what do you think of her career? And could she maybe have done more with her career? Yeah, I, I think probably like if she just got more act, active, right? Because there was, it, it seemed like she was tailing off at the end and wanted less fights, which is, I, I mean, in ultimate, uh, probably the reason why she retired, right? She, it's just not there anymore. But I will say this, I, I actually think, you know, so many people list her as like the goat strawway. I, I really don't. Uh, and I, I don't mean to detract from her right after she's retiring because she, she had an amazing career. You know, they said it on the broadcast and I don't disagree. She's like, an obvious Hall of Famer. Like, her, her moment is coming in the next year or two where they'll induct her into the UFC Hall of Fame. They just got to make sure she's actually retired first. But, like, to talk about her as the greatest 115er that's ever lived when there are two women right now who, who are both not the champ, by the way, uh, two women right now who are 2-0 and against her with two fairly good victories in both cases, right? Like, you know, both Rose and Weiwei have both slept her. And both of them have won a close decision against her as well. So it's like not like they they just like, you know, caught her unconscious like once or, or, or even just twice. But like they've beaten her in multiple different ways. It's just hard for me to call her the go. Also, like and I know people point to like, oh, you know, she's got X amount of title defenses. You know, she also has title defenses over, you know, no offense, but like Claudia Gedalia is not the highest level title defense. Neither is Jessica Penne or Valerie Letourneau. Valerie Letourneau. Yeah, yeah. Like, like those aren't big wins to me. So like, yeah, you can say those are title fights, but like, would you still be saying, you know, like, I don't know, like, like pick out any, any former champion who is like clearly not the GOAT, right? Like Frankie Edgar's not the GOAT to 155, right? We, we're pretty, pretty clear on that. Or, you know, Benson Henderson's not the GOAT at 155. If Benson went and defended his title against Clay Guida uh, and Jim Miller, would, would you be like, oh, Benson's got the most title defenses? And Or would you look back and say, look, they're against Clay Guida and they're against Jim Miller. Th- those just don't count the same way as Frankie going to war with BJ twice or BJ going to war with Hughes, or, although that was up a weight class. But you know what I mean? Like, the, the level of wins that, that you know, Rose is putting together, beating, you know, Andrade and Whaley twice and Whaley beating and Joanna twice. Like, it, it just doesn't seem like I can call her the GOAT. With that being said, you know, like, amazing career. It, it sucks to, like, feel like I'm detracting from her right after this moment. But, yeah, I, no, I mean, it, amazing career. It, yeah, I'm with you on that, and I'm a huge fan. And her, you know, she had a streak of five title defenses. Jessica Andrade, clearly far and away the best defense there. But, you know, she was 0-6 against Rose – or, sorry, she was 0-5 against Rose, Zhang, and Valentina. Two losses to Whaley, two losses to Rose, one loss to Valentina. The very upper echelon. She beat who she had to beat. But I also have to say, like, you know, if I can make a comparison to maybe you start or open up a small business, sometimes it takes time to become embedded in the community, to get a buzz going about you, to really develop the brand and the business, right? I look at UFC divisions much the same way. You know, early UFC fighters that appeared dominant, like, you know, Hoist even, for instance, or 
uh, Ronda Rousey in the early days of the 135 division, JJ in the early days of the 115 division. These divisions were not fleshed out those first few years. Let's face it. Like the division has more depth now in all cases when it's established and been around for a while. So I look at it much the same way. You know, Joanna was dominant early on as the division started flushing itself out in the years 2015 through 2017. And then when, you know, the division had a lot of depth, she didn't look as good. Yeah, and I'll also say this too. Like, you know, you mentioned her her resume in there. And I think this puts it into context well. By far, the best win of those five was Jessica Andrade. Both Whaley and Rose beat Jessica Andrade too. You know, like, like, and, and they weren't their best win. So, I mean, like, do with that what you will. But, yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. The, the division caught up to her a little bit. She started fighting the actual best, and they were better than her. So, um, you know, props to her. Again, we should end on the note of it was a great and glorious career that gave us ass loads of violence. And, that, you know, like, to your point, that's probably what built up the division better than anything. She taught us 115 can be violent. Um, and hopefully that's what we remember it as. Well, I hope you're going to remember our picks for fights, dogs, and parlays for UFC Austin because we're bringing them to you right now and trying to help you make some money. So, Gumby, let's get into our favorite segment on the show, fights, dogs, and parlays for UFC Austin. But before we start, one may wonder if any company is sponsoring this edition of fights, dogs, and parlays. Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by MMA Play 365. MMA Play 365 is a predictions and betting service out here trying to help you, the public, make money on UFC and MMA in general. For one super low fee, you get access to their professional handicapper with a six-year winning record who gives you full breakdowns, parlays, and their official bets. But that's not all. For that same exact price, you get access to their brand new Bayes AI prediction software that uses advanced algorithms to give you percentages for each possible outcome on every UFC fight. They got packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs, including a Daily Fantasy one, if that's your gig. So go check them out at MMAplay365.com and don't forget to use promo code TOPTURTLE for 10% off their annual package, which is already pretty damn affordable to begin with. It's a deal you can't afford to pass up. That's MMA Play 365. Boom. All right, let's start with the main event. And it is an exciting one. Uh, Calvin Cater is a minus 240 favorite to Josh Emmett, a plus 195 dog. Let's take a second to just appreciate the path to this fight that Calvin Cater has taken. You know, debuted in the UFC in 2017. Heading into this past January, the year 2022, Cater was a 6-3 and three UFC fighter, beat who he needed to beat, but losses to guys like Hanato Maikano, Zabit, and Max Holloway. He was coming off a Max Holloway loss in January of 2021, took the year off, it was a fight of the night, and he came into this year on January 15th to fight Giga Chikadze, a favorite of this podcast, and someone looked at as a clear-cut future superstar and someone who was headed for a title shot maybe mid-year. But the gods of MMA and Calvin Cater had other plans, Cater defeated Giga Chikadze by unanimous decision, looked absolutely great. Clearly his biggest win, his biggest highlight in the UFC, and now in a main event again facing uh, Josh Emmett. Emmett is on a win streak of his, in his own right, a four-fight win streak, KO'd Michael Johnson, TKO'd Mirsad Bektik, and then unanimous decision wins over Dan Ige and Shane Burgos. You'd have to go back to KO lost to Jeremy Stevens all the way back in February of 2018 to find his last loss. He debuted in the UFC all the way back in 2016, and he is 
eight and two in the UFC, but the dog here at plus one ninety five, who you got? Uh, I, I'm gonna go with Calvin Cater here. You know, neg- negative two forty is kind of a steep price against, especially against Josh Emmett, who's got you know like super underrated power in his hands. And I also think you know Cater kind of took over that Giga Chikadze fight with a little bit of grappling, right? Which we weren't sort of expecting him to do, but that's exactly what he did to take over that fight. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think he probably can't do that here against Emmett, but I do think his striking is just like, it's so much faster than Josh Emmett. And I think that's going to just cause him way too many problems in this fight is that Cater's just going to dance around him, tire him out. And the fact that it's a five round fight, I think also plays into Calvin Cater's hands better. So yeah, I'm going to take Cater here. Uh, I say he keeps it in the win column just by, you know, absolutely outworking him. It wouldn't also shock me to see him get a finish, but like, more of like a volume and exhaustion based finish than like that one touch knockout power kind of like Josh Emmett has. I'm with you there. Not going to disagree. I uh, like the pick. Let's move on to the senior circuit. We have Donald Cerrone facing off of Joe Lazan. I think we played this game off air a few weeks ago when they were supposed to fight and the fight got scrapped. Had the, is this a rematch? Like had they fought each other before? And the answer is no, they actually haven't. But if you put a gun to someone's head, you would have thought this would have happened at some point, right? Yeah, I, I would have. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, no, like, and in, in I think we said add Cole Miller, Jim Miller, and like a whole bunch of other people into that mix. And like, you know, who knows how, how many of these people six, have. Yeah, maybe maybe yeah. Diego Sanchez. <laughs> and, I was gonna, and like six degrees of Donald Cerrone. Like he had to face five out of the six of them or something. But, you know, it's just for me, listen, I, it's two names. It is kind of fun in a way. But I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I can't really get that excited about it. Let's break it down. Uh, Cerrone's a minus 165 favorite. Okay. Uh, Lazan is a plus 145 dog. I probably like Lazan more, actually, to be honest with you. Lazan's coming off a win, albeit three years ago. Hasn't fought since 2019. Beat Jonathan Pierce. That was after a two-fight losing streak to Chris, Gute- uh, to Chris Grutzmeicher and Clay Guida. Um, actually, it was a three-fight losing streak, and throw Stevie Ray in there, too. So the win stopped the three-fight losing streak, and then he stopped fighting for three years. Cerrone is on a million-fight losing streak. Losses to Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, Connor, Anthony Pettis, a no contest to Nico Price because um, of an eye poke, and a loss to Alex Morano back in May of 2021. Uh, you'd have to go back to a unanimous decision win over Ally Aquinta back in 2019, also a fight of the night for Cerrone, to find his last win. This is a guy who debuted in the UFC uh, after the WEC merger back in 2011. He debuted in the WEC back in 2007. And Lazan, of course, was on the Ultimate Fighter, had actually uh, fought Jens Pulver before that Ultimate Fighter show all the way back in September of 20, 2006. So both guys have been fighting forever. Uh, is Lazan over? No, Lazan is 38, and Cerrone has to be a diesel. Oh, he's still only 39, just turned 39. So almost 40-year-olds. Who you got in the senior circuit? You know, you mentioned it at the beginning. I think I like Lozon at this dog price. Um, you know, like not that there isn't a reason to, you know, fade him. Like, he hasn't fought in three years, like you mentioned, or, or, or over three years at this point. But that fight with Jonathan Pierce that you mentioned, you know, gives me a lot of hope for him because he had a little bit of a layoff before that one, too. And he showed that he's still there. Like, in that fight, he actually tagged Jonathan Pierce, who, not for anything, Jonathan Pierce is 3-0 and in the UFC since losing his debut to Joe Lozon. 
Um, which is worth noting because like Lozon looked good in that fight. He knocked him down with a punch. He, he, he controlled him on the ground to finish him up with strikes. And like, what have we seen so far from, from Cowboy? Like maybe his best fight is that Nico Price fight where, you know, like they, they went toe to toe and, you know, I, I think it, it was originally a draw and then Nico Price tested positive for something, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that's like the best he's looked since then. So like, if that's the case, like, he doesn't look deadly in any facet, right? Like, he doesn't look like he's going to stun you or, or finish you. So, I mean, like, you're going out there and betting Cowboy by decision if you're betting him at all. But for that matter, I, I like Lozon. I, I think he's both got the subs that can be a little tricky here. And I think he could control the fight better than Cerrone could, too. I, yeah, I also have to say last week, uh, and I hope people were listening and placing bets on what I said about Zhang Weili and Joanna. I said, you know, the thing that I fear so much is Joanna's had a two-year layoff. While Zhang has been in there in the highest level of fights, you know, staying in ring shape, in this case, I go the complete opposite way, which is as a 39-year-old who's kind of pickled his body, so to speak, and hasn't taken any damage for the last two years, I like that Lozon actually hasn't fought in two years because guess who's a notoriously slow starter? Cowboy Cerrone. So even though Cowboy Cerrone's been in there getting, you know, the crap beaten out of him by the highest level the UFC has to offer, I don't think it's a negative that Lozon hasn't fought in two years in this case. Cerrone's not going to come out there and just, like, six-piece combo him in the first 30 seconds. So, I don't know. What are we even doing here talking about this fight? <laughs> yeah. retired. All right. Uh, Gregory Rodriguez is a minus-195 favorite. Julian Arquette is a plus-165 dog. Actually, I want to back up. I don't think they should be retired. I just don't know that they should be on a UFC card if the UFC is going to be thought of as the NFL is for professional football. Well, they like, sure should be some... a co-made event. That, that's the other yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the other thing, and that's probably what annoys me about this. Um, all right, Gregory Rodriguez is a minus-195 favorite. Julian Marquez, a plus-165 dog. Marquez coming off a big win over Sam Alvey via rear naked choke, got an anaconda choke over Maki Patolo before that. So two-fight win streak for him. Rodriguez on a loss, uh, coming off a loss to Eamon Petrosian. But before that, he debuted in the UFC on a two-fight win streak. So he's 2-1 and one in the UFC total. He's only had three UFC fights. He's the favorite here by almost 2-1. to one. Uh, Does the Cuban Missile Crisis have it in him to have an upset? Who you got? I don't think so. I, I actually like Rodriguez's hands and his jiu-jitsu better than, than Marquez here. Uh, you know, I get, you mentioned back-to-back submission wins for Marquez, which is, is kind of uncommon. We we came to think of him as kind of a big striker. I mean, his nickname even insinuates that. And, like, the bottom line is, is he's having more success with the grappling, and he's not going to out-grapple a guy like Gregory Rodriguez, who is an absolute beast when it hits the mat. So you're, like, out here basically hoping that, that Marquez lands the big bomb. And, look, we just watched Gregory Rodriguez in there with, like you said, Armin Petrosian, who's a guy who just throws some big bombs. He's a kickboxer. He came through a game to the UFC. He, he fought Jung Young Park, who who knocks people out, and, and he knocked him out. Um, You know, like, he, he's a guy who's gone in there with big strikers and gone ahead and beat them anyway, Uh, or, you know, in the case of Petrosian, a, a close split decision. So, like, I don't see Marquez knocking him out, and I certainly don't see him having success on the ground. So I get why he's a two-to-one favorite, and I'm riding with Rodriguez. Our dog of the week is Duran Wynn, a plus 200 over Phil Haas. Break it down. So I think he's getting kind of unfairly shaded here because, like, don't get me wrong, I- I've seen issues with with Duran Wynn. 
I've seen I get what people are saying about him and why he doesn't look good. But the bottom line is he's a really good wrestler. Um, he, he takes people down at a very, very good clip. And we're watching him fight a guy in Phil Hawes who, you know, has had a little bit of success against wrestlers or guys who can wrestle him, like Kyle Dawkins. But at the bottom line is, is last time out, he was looked exhausted at the end of round one against Chris Curtis. Um, he's he's really muscly, and I hate using that Joe Rosa, Rogan uh, um, rationale here, but, like, when you, you wrestle a guy who is so much better at wrestling than you, it tires you out, and this is a guy who's got a history of tiring out. So I, I like Deron Wynn to get his wrestling going late, probably steal the last two rounds, and plus 200 I think is just too good of a line for me to pass on. All right, our parlay to play is Jasmine Jasudovicius, minus 250, a favorite is the Canadian, and we want you to pair her together with Kyle Dawkins of minus 225. So two pretty strong favorites, both two to one, even more to two to one favorites, but pair them together and it gets you slightly plus money at plus 102. Let's hear it. Yeah, has just showed her last time out that she's an absolute animal and a force to be reckoned with because she's big, she's strong, she bodies people up. And I wasn't particularly impressed by Natalia Silva's last time out. So I think Jesuda Vicius does exactly that again. Uh, she bodies her up, takes her down, controls her, wins the fight there. Dawkins, for me, I, I like him against Delize here because, you know, like, for me, Delize has kind of been, uh, I'm either going to land the big bomb or I'm not. Um, and I'm just betting here that he doesn't. Um, Dawkins is clever. Uh, we saw he's got very quick submission skills in that fight with Kevin Holland that ultimately wound up a no contest. I think he just stays safe here, does what he's supposed to, and uh, we see both of these sizable favorites here pick up wins. Well, there you have it. Another Fights, Dogs, and Parlays in the books. Let us know on our Twitter or IG, at Top Turtle MMA, if we did you right or did you dirty with these picks. Gumby, the show is uh, rumbling down the tracks. Where do we go next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Oday Osborne, who is fresh off of a violent knockout of Zaruk Adeshev at UFC Vegas 56, where he won 50K. We'll, of course, be talking about that fight and the 50K itself in this interview. But before we do, I have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Oday Osborne. All right, and joining me today is Oday Osborne, who's fresh off of his knockout victory over Zaruk Adeshev at UFC Vegas 56. So, Oday I got to start here. You know, obviously the strike, the right hand, it's right on the money. When you land that on Adeshev, do you know it right away? Did you feel that like that that was the end of the fight with that punch right there? Honestly, no, because I feel like I I didn't really put much into it. You know what I mean? It was just like a they call it a check hook for a reason. It's just like a uh hey, let you know I'm right here. You know what I mean? It was just like a don't do that again type thing. Like you coming in too close to me. So it was kind of one of those like like, hey, just so you know, you're getting a little close. Like, um, so, and I, and I, and I, as soon as I landed it, I, I, I saw that he wobbled and I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Now I guess you're out. And I was, it was, it was, it was very surprising. 
Well, well, that's awesome to hear that you, I mean, seemingly just found out you had more power than you thought you did. Is that the takeaway from it? Or do you just feel like no, it was one of those perfectly no, I, timed ones? No, I, I know my coach. I know I have a lot of power, honestly. Like I've always, I always know that I have a lot of power. You know what I mean? I, I just didn't use it that fight. Like I didn't use a lot of my power in that punch. It was just like a, like I said, it was like a check to let him know that I'm right in front of his face. You know what I mean? So I, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I guess <laughs> I, I do have a lot more power than I think. Cause I didn't, I barely put anything on that one, you know? So it was just, it was, it was a little surprising how much power I realized I actually have. Yeah, and, and we talked about that a little bit before the fight with you working with John Wood, that you're, you're seemingly developing your striking game even faster. Is that something that you you feel like you would have hit even before working at Syndicate? Or is this one of those things where, you know, you've really upped your striking game in the last couple of fights? No, I've definitely upped my striking game a lot uh, in the past couple of fights. Um, it's it's tremendous, honestly. Um, and it, it, it's not surprising, you know what I mean? It, it's expected. Um, but yeah, I've upped my trekking game a lot. For sure. And and we only got to see 61 seconds, obviously, up. So not, not a terrible lot of it. But, you know, we saw a, a new and improved Ode Osborne against CJ Vergara, too. You know, like, since you've moved to Syndicate, two-white fight winning streak. Do you feel like you're much different from that fight, too? Do you feel like the, the growth is, is there again? 100%, yeah. Because I, I, I only had six weeks to prepare for that fight. And I had just gotten to Syndicate. I just moved out to Vegas. So, yeah, um, six weeks versus um, six months is a complete, complete different animal. Absolutely. Now, I, I do want to ask one more question about the punch, too, because like you said, it's just one of those ones that you throw out there to feel like, you know, he, he needs to know you're there. And he, you, well, you told him you were there. But is it something that you saw as being a weakness of his in the first place, that that check hook is, is it open for you to crack him with? Oh, for sure. John Wood and I worked that like constantly because um, we knew that he was going to come in really, really fast. You know what I'm saying? John told me that it was going to happen. So it worked out to John's like precise measurements and calculations. Well, that's that's absolutely awesome to hear. Now, speaking of precise measurements, I got to ask you about your precise call out after the fight, which was. You, you called out Jeff Molina, a guy who had won a little bit earlier in the night in, in kind of a back-and-forth fight that, hey, even he wasn't 100% sure he won. Was it pre-planned that there's another flyweight fight on the card and you just want the winner because it's going to line up nicely? Or, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It was It was, it was going to be Jeff Molina or um, Zuma Gulaf. It was going to be one of those. Whoever won, that was going to be who I called out. Well, that's It just so happens that Jeff Molina won. It, that, that's interesting. Then what, why in particular, is it just a timeline thing? Is it just trying to stay active as a flyweight? What, what is the, the reason why yeah, it was but, always going to be the winner? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm just trying to stay active. You know what I mean? Like we both fought the same night. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, it's like, okay, we both we, we would have enough time to get ready for another fight. Like, you know what I'm saying? It'd be, it'd be, uh, it'd be good timing. For sure, for sure. And, and what is there anything in particular you like about a matchup with Jeff Molina, a, a guy who's, you know, put together a nice win streak at, at the moment? Yeah, I think Jeff Molina is a great stand-up fighter, you know what I'm saying? So I always want to test my abilities, you know? So I'm just like, all right, let's let's give the crowd, you know, let's give the crowd a nice little little banger, you know what I mean? Let's, let's flip this octagon upside down. 
I love it. I love it. Now, you know, you mentioned the timelines are going to work out too. What, what does the timeline look like for you? How, how quickly are you looking to get back in there? I know we're like, you know, 10, 10 days or so after the fight at this point. Like, wh- when are you looking to mix it up again? Oh, uh, man. Honestly, I can't give you an answer on that. It, it just, I, it, it's, there's so much that goes into scheduling a fight. I, I would never be able to give you an answer. That makes a lot of sense. How about health-wise? How, how are you feeling health-wise at the moment? Oh, man, I feel great. I feel amazing. <laughs> Couldn't be better. Well, that, that's good to hear. Obviously, 61 seconds doesn't do too much damage. Now, last question I wanted to give you before I let you kick out of here is, you know, obviously, you land that knockout pretty early in the night. You know, it's it, you're not quite at the end of the show yet. It's a big knockout, and obviously, you put him out cold with the follow-up punches. How, how certain were you that the 50K was coming your way, and what was it like getting that, that notice that you, you had won the, the performance of the night bonus? I was fairly certain, you know what I'm saying? I was fairly certain, but at the same time, I was okay with getting the win. You know what I mean? I was like, you know what? If I don't get the bonus, then I don't get it. I'm happy. I'm happy and content with just the win. I don't need to get the bonus because right now, you know, the goal is to be a champion in the UFC. So if I get the bonus, I'll be happy. But if I don't, I'm also happy. Well, and then they do give you the bonus. So t- tell me what it was like when they said it. And do you got any big plans for the 50K now? Oh, man. Uh, first of all, I don't get the 50K for, like, another, like, six six or so weeks. But, um, I honestly, my plans is put it into Bitcoin. <laughs> 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 that's, my, that's my plan. Put it into Bitcoin. But, um, man, when I, when they called me, I was hanging out with my friends, you know, my Vince Morales uh, after the fight. And, like, they called me and was like, hey, just so you know, you got the bonus. And everybody, we just started going crazy. We're just like, oh, you know, we just started going crazy. Well, that, that's great to hear. Now, you know, like you said, you don't have a timeline for your next fight. So I, I got to end this, this somewhere. What are we doing to celebrate this, this week? And uh, what, what have we been doing to celebrate so far? Oh, man. I, I, I'm just been chilling, man, honestly. Like, I'm – celebration is – it used to be – I used to look at celebration differently. I'm just trying to focus on getting to where I need to go right now. That's the most important thing. You know what I mean? I'm trying to – just not celebrate too much and stay focused on what I need to accomplish. Well, I love that mentality. And once again, fans, this has been Ode Osborne, fresh off his knockout victory over Zaruk Adeshev at UFC Vegas 56. Ode, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, man. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and of course, MMA Play 365. And as a reminder, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Dana Gibbard-Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.